Welcome to episode 25 of the Modern Classroom Podcast. My name is Kate Gaskell, Head of Teaching and Learning here at the Modern Classrooms Project, and we are excited to devote this episode's discussion to elementary modern classrooms. So that's right. If you're an elementary teacher, this one is for you. We are taking a deep dive into the early grades and discussing how educators who teach our youngest learners have implemented this blended, self-paced, mastery-based instructional model. And I am joined by three educators who are true leaders in our movement. We are so grateful for their expertise. Uh, They recently joined me on a webinar and we had so much more to discuss. We just had to bring them back for a podcast episode. I am happy to introduce Cheyenne Dixon, Deanna Trexler, and welcoming back to the podcast, Susan Boslow. Uh, Can you each introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your career in education? All right, so I'm Cheyenne Dixon, and I am currently a classroom coach and fourth grade teacher at um, the Bellwood Antis School District. I'm Deanna Texler, and I'm a sixth grade teacher at the Bellwood Antis School District and also a classroom coach. And I am Susan Boslow. I am a third grade teacher at Bellwood Antis School District and a classroom coach and a modern classrooms mentor. You are three of our amazing Modern Classrooms mentors. We're so grateful, again, just to, to have you as part of our movement. And, you know, kind of starting on a, on a, on a personal note, if I can, uh, I, of course, I taught at Eastern High School in Washington, D.C., which is where our co-founders, Rob Barnett and Kareem Farah, taught. And, uh, you know, this instructional model was kind of originally codified in high school classrooms, and I will never forget when my, you know, my friend, frankly, Kareem, sent me a text saying, I am in Pennsylvania and I'm watching these elementary classrooms that are blended, self-paced, mastery-based. And it, it's amazing. Uh, it's, it's just incredible. Uh, you you got to see this sometime. I think he sent me like a couple of videos too. And as the daughter of an elementary teacher, which I've mentioned many times on the podcast, you know, I, I was so inspired and it has been amazing to watch this instructional model come to life in elementary classrooms, you know, even when it was, even when it was born um, in an, an environment for students, much students, much older. Um, so we've definitely seen that elementary is a natural home for blended self-paced mastery-based learning. Why do you think that is? I think that students that come into early elementary, kindergarten, first grade, they come in with this big learning gap, and this provides the opportunity to close that gap. I also think it lends itself to elementary education because of center-based games and center-based learning. They provide the perfect opportunity for students to um, move away from whole group instruction and take breaks in the instruction um, and get back to learning at their own pace while still playing games and collaborating with their peers. Yeah, I'm really curious about that, Cheyenne. Um, you know, the the structured stations or centers are really integral parts of elementary classrooms. How have you structured centers to exist in your um, modern classroom with the blended self-paced mastery-based learning? Okay, so Susan and I will both be able to touch on this because we do it in different ways. And I think it's totally up to the teacher and how they feel um, running their classroom. But the way that I've done it is I put the centers as a piece in my game board. And when a student gets there, they either can invite a friend to play or they go to the area to play the center and they hold up a sign or they'll hold up the game in the air. And other kids then are invited to stop, pause their instruction, pause their work 
and go play the game. They know that they can play it twice and then they're to return to moving forward on their learning pathways. And these game boards all for, if you're listening, check the show notes because the, uh, what are elementary, the, the amazing game boards that our elementary educators create are, are just, in, they're, they're fantastic. Um, Susan, how do, how do centers work in your room? Well, I have an aspect of my game board that's center-based, but then also as students are submitting lesson work, I like to check their lesson work before they go to their mastery check. And that way I can do some reteaching with them. But if they're waiting for me to check their lesson work, they go to centers and are able to play with others during centers at that time while I'm either teaching or um, checking their lesson work. I also have students create some center games as well. So they seem to be the most popular places for kids to want to go too, because kids like to play games that other kids create. Oh, I love that. And I think we mentioned a little bit of that on the webinar. Um, was that kind of a, a, like a prove it option that kids can go on to create games after they finish a lesson? Is that how you work that in? Yeah, that's how I do it in my classroom. They also have the option to make their own instructional videos, which they love as well. Oh, that, those would be, I would love to watch one of those sometime. <laughs> um, so, you know, Stations are obviously are obviously really important, and you've talked about the the game boards, um, which again we'll link in the show notes. Uh, I'm curious, other than other than creating a game board, um, which obviously can be differentiated for students, you know, two game boards don't have to look alike. Other than the game board, what would you say are a couple of the most helpful tools or strategies to support self pacing for your young learners? Well, definitely the game boards are a big aspect in supporting the self-pacing. Also, I feel our public pacing tracker that we use when we meet at the beginning of class, and we sort of use that time as like a classroom meeting in which the kids develop goals of what they want to achieve that day. So it's sort of setting the pace already for what's going to be happening in the classroom that day. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about Susan, just, you know, before we steer away from that, how do you, how do you talk about the public pacing tracker with, with young students? Well, we talk about this as this is where everyone is in our unit and it's okay that we're in different places, but we're all going towards the same goal. And we're, do, we're doing this. You're getting what you need. It's all what the student needs at that time. So um, it's about effort, and we really recognize that with our public pacing tracker. I have a column that's an inspire column, which really congratulates kids for putting a lot of effort in at that time. And they clap for each other. They're very supportive of each other. And that's one thing that we love seeing in our classroom meeting. Another element of uh, the public pacing tracker that's added in to help students um, really take ownership is the student teacher column in the public pacing tracker, where students are designated as helpers for those who might be behind in the unit. And they know, other kids know that they can go to those teachers and the teachers know that they can help students advance if they're behind on the pacing tracker. I really love that you all have done such a great job with empowering your your student teachers or your 
lesson experts. Um, uh, what are some what are some tricks or strategies rather that you've done to help help equip those those lesson experts to, to provide the most support possible? So what something that I do is I provide my student teachers with um, student teacher talking stems. So they're sentence starters, and there's two columns. There's if if your student is stuck or if your student made a mistake, and and they are directed not to just give them the answer. They're directed with the talking stems to say, we got different answers. Um, How does yours look different than mine? Or that's not right this time, but let's try it again and see where maybe you missed a step. So those um, talking stems really help the students gear away from giving answers and more towards actually teaching each other. Yeah. So what do you do if you don't feel your students are learning from the videos? I guess, how often does that happen? And when and if it does happen, how do you respond? So yes, that does happen. That happens on occasion. And so when the the first thing that I do is I go to their guided notes and check to see if they're complete and how they're completed and discuss that. And then um, the second thing that I do is I will sometimes watch the video with the student. And I find it's really beneficial to pair kids up while they're watching videos um, so that they can discuss and do their practice together. But sometimes when you watch the video with the student and then discuss what they have viewed, because sometimes kids, just like when you're teaching um, live, uh, they don't always pay attention to the video. So uh, going back and rewatching is very helpful and um, checking those guided notes. I really love that, that idea of not only rewatching the videos and using our notes as a resource, but yeah, pairing students together and having them go through the videos. Uh, Dee, how do you, do you let students generally pick or is this kind of an, uh, an area where you exercise flex grouping as the teacher? So it depends on the, the year and the students, of course, and when you get to know them. But I really do like to provide students the opportunity to choose seating in a typical year. And then they use that public tracker to try to find people who are in the same on the same lesson so that they can team up and work together. Yeah. Um, Cheyenne or Susan, um, do you experience this ever, finding that you don't feel a student's really learning from an instructional video? Um, yes, it's happened. Uh, I've had students actually say to me, I, I didn't understand this the first time. And, and I do the same thing where it's a rule in my classroom before you ask anybody for help that you watch it twice. And I explained to them at the beginning of the year, it's like a movie. If you've seen a movie twice, you watch the movie once and you notice the big details. You notice the characters and what they're doing. But if you watch the movie a second or a third time, your brain has already seen that and it gives your brain room to notice the small details or the things that it left out the first time. So they know that as a rule in our classroom, watch it twice. And I've had a lot of students, you know, after they watched it twice, one girl like put her hand down on her desk and was like, oh, Mrs. Dixon, I get it now. I I love that. So yeah, just kind of a a policy that, uh, and I, I love how that normalizes trying again. And what a powerful, what a powerful exercise for, you know, young learners to, to engage in that let's, let's try our resources again. Um, I, I, how often would you say that I, I, how long does that 
habit of mind take to develop in your students? This idea like, no, I, I need to check my notes or no, I need to watch the video again. I feel, you know, especially because our school district was not doing blended learning before we started last year. It took students a, a, a while to realize, hey, I, I have to read the directions because I'm learning at my own pace here. And for a while, I felt like maybe I would pull my hair out because it, I was constantly returning papers because they weren't reading the directions. But, you know, that's a skill that students need to have. And it did develop. At, at, at first, it took a little while, but it did develop. And then they, they became much more independent learners. And that is one of the things I love most about this type of learning. It does create that, that a self-driven culture of students, if you will. Yeah. Let's talk about rollout a little bit. The, you know, teaching students the prog- the process, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, clearly things are going well in your classrooms. You know, you, you serve as modern classrooms mentors. I've, I've had conversations with each of you, how, how passionate you are um, about this instructional framework, because you do feel it, you know, builds, builds, um, independent learners. It really does help mastery of foundational skills. But um, let's kind of, let's go back to the beginning when you were teaching students the process, um, what went well and what, what do you wish you would have known? Um, One thing that I did when I was teaching the students, the process is I created my own unit and this was like introductory unit to blended learning and this was something that we went through together because in third grade, my students had never taken notes before. So they were able to go through, we went through the video together. They didn't do it independently. And I helped them decide when it was time to take the notes. If I was writing on the screen, then they would have to write on the note. And then they would go through the process. And it taught them where the different forms were, where the lesson work, the um, mastery checks, the guided notes, everything was labeled in the room. And we even did lesson work with it. So they had to find where those items were and write it down on their lesson work. And we had a mastery check. So they got to go through the whole process. But something I definitely learned, I was expecting them to take more notes. And it took them an awful long time. So after that, I decided to cut my note taking down because it was taking them too long to write it down. Yeah, I think, and that was a really powerful discussion and really enlightening for me um, discussion that we had when we were planning the webinar is how notes are obviously going to look different in an elementary classroom than they would in a secondary classroom. And, you know, some educators decide, some elementary educators decide for various lessons that, you know, we're not going to do notes for this one, or um, we're going to focus on check for understanding questions instead. Um, so I think, yeah, and Susan, that's, it's really interesting to hear that that was, a, that was an area that really needed explicit teaching. Um, what about Dee and Cheyenne? What, how did you teach students the process and what went well and what do you, what do you wish you could time travel, go back and change? So I tried to chunk the process and just did like a video in isolation and how, how you use the video, how you use Edpuzzle, how you take notes, where things, where should we keep things? I gave students a lot of voice and choice and how we set up our classroom. 
I would say the most difficult thing for me is like when all the pieces were together and juggling all those moving pieces, the thing that helped me the most were actually the kids because they're really your best resource. They are teachers, they can be assistants, they help to manage the system of, you know, where the mastery checks go. And, and so they become your best resource. And if you're flexible and allow them to take all the, the role and ownership of the classroom, it really does make it such a beautiful process. And I also did an introductory unit um, similar to Susan's. One thing I wish I could have traveled back in time and and knew at the beginning was, you know, when you're checking those practice worksheets, you need to identify a few questions to spot check. Because I was overwhelmed at first trying to check all the papers for every question, 100% correct. And, you know, I reached out to Kareem and was like, what do I do? And he's like, spot check those and completely check the master checks. And I was like, oh my goodness, lifesaver. <laughs> I have to add to that because I like had these piles and piles of papers and I was so overwhelmed trying to, I wanted to get them back quickly. And so I decided to just create answer keys that kids could easily follow and had, they checked themselves. And it was at the mastery check table and they're very, they were very honest. So they, they would check their own work. They would identify and highlight where they think they might have missed um, the question. And then I would collect those and we'd have a, a meeting in our small group meetings. We would discuss the errors that they were making. I really love that, Dee. I know that we've talked about that before. Can you remind us what how you did that with math specifically? Yes. Any kind of practice work, I would keep folders with the answer keys. And so they would you know, signal to me that they were ready to do that. And I would send them to the table and they would check their work. And I always created the key that had every step in the process of math, the math problem solved so that they could match their problem up with my problem. And then they would highlight what was different. And sometimes they would come to me and so excited because they would say, oh my goodness, I got the right answer, but look, we did this different. And we were like, they would like celebrate the fact that you can sometimes solve a math problem in a different way and get the same answer. That is so, that is so powerful. And, um, I, I guess another question that I, I have is, uh, just as we talk about teaching students, the process, how did you explain this to parents? I think Cheyenne, was it you who mentioned that your school was doing very little blended learning, um, now, you know, and the transitioning to a model that very much depends on blended learning. How did you explain this to your students' families? So one thing I, I like to make a point of to, to parents, because they often think that with blended learning, it's all about technology and they're on their screens all the time. When the case is, it's actually very little to do with technology in real time. It's more to do with how we utilize technology to leverage time as teachers. So I always emphasize to parents and I'll send them a video at the beginning of the year and say, this is what your, your child is watching. It is six minutes long. They may watch two of these a day if they get ahead, but that's it. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful. And yeah, just that idea. I think I would do something kind of similar in my high school classroom where when it was back to school night, I would um, kind of set my, rather than me standing and talking, I would greet parents at the door and I would kind of just explain a little bit why things were set up a certain way. And I had 
I had parents kind of go through a modern classroom, if you will. I had a, a station that was playing instructional videos and I had, you know, a station where it, you know, they could see examples of mastery checks. Um, I think that, yeah, once our, once our students' families understand what we're talking about and how we're leveraging the technology, a lot of times some of those concerns like screen time, um, they're clarified and, and they're alleviated. Yes, Kate, I agree with that. I know I sent my parents the introductory video that my kids watched introducing what blended learning was and how it was going to flow in our classroom. And so they got to see that introductory video. The kids talked with their parents at home. And then I had some messages from parents saying some were excited, some were a little hesitant whether their child could learn that way. But at the end of our first unit, I know parents messaged me saying that they loved this and their student, their children felt so empowered and they were so confident in that in that concept. So that was good to hear. Yeah. Um, what uh, what has been some some of the parent feedback that they have liked about the about the model? I think parents really love to hear that you are spending time with their student and getting to know them as learners and even as individuals. So they they love that part of it. And they love that they're not sitting around waiting for other students to move on. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, Dee, because I know some of our kids are high flyers and they can go through things pretty quickly. And I'm able to enrich them in different ways where before I was trying to pull small groups, but I would end up pulling my struggling learners a lot and not as much with my enrichment group. Another thing that parents really loved about this was when it came time for homework, the videos were right there. So if if the child was home struggling with homework and the parent wasn't even sure how to set up the problem or do the problem, because we know that's the case now, we don't do math the same way we our, the parents did of our, our students. So they love the fact that those videos were there as a resource for them, as well as a resource for their, their children. And it makes it so easy when a child was absent. So yes. they were able to get caught up pretty easily by watching the videos. Yeah, all of those are really powerful points. And I think I think it's so interesting how even though I taught students who were, you know, in some cases, 10, 12 years older, um, I, parents responded in the same way and really, you know, shared a, what they liked about this instructional model was very, very similar. We're going to take a quick break right now. We're actually going to get to hear from one of our amazing educators, um, but we will be right back with Susan D and Cheyenne. And we have a few more questions for these amazing elementary teachers. Hello, educators. Thank you all so much for listening to the Modern Classrooms podcast. As this episode is publishing on Valentine's Day, we couldn't let it go by without dropping in a love from our teacher segment. So this episode, we'll be hearing from Lindsay Stone. This is Lindsay Stone, seventh grade science teacher in rural Colorado. There are so many reasons that I love the Modern Classrooms Project in my remote classroom for my students, but two of the most high leverage reasons I will share with you today. Uh, the first one is that self-pacing and choice in how students do their work is really such a powerful expression of agency and it seems to lead kids to deeper and more meaningful engagement with the content. And the second reason is relationships. 
by giving every kid, you know, what they need to be able to independently move through their learning, I can provide the differentiated um, student-driven support to every kid who needs it. There are so many reasons to love the Modern Classrooms project in my classroom, uh, and I'll never go back. Well, those words certainly resonate with me. If you are interested in learning more about enrolling in the Modern Classroom Virtual Mentorship Program or empowering a cohort of teachers from your school to enroll, please visit www.modernclassrooms.org program, and the link for that will also be in the show notes. Now, let's get back into it with Kate and our three all-star elementary teachers, Susan, Cheyenne, and Deanna. Welcome back. Uh, I want to ask about room setup. Anyone who's ever worked with me knows that I am very passionate about our classroom design and how that can really help our students you know, navigate a self-paced environment and make our lives easier as the classroom teacher. Dee, you said something that really was interesting to me about student voice and involving students in setting up your classroom. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how you do that and what your classroom looks like? Well, so I always start with anytime we are implementing something in the classroom, we discuss, take notes on the board and vote. That's kind of our general system for everything we do. And then throughout the year, I have a parking lot, we call it, and students have um, post-it notes that are available to them. And they can put any idea that they come up with in the parking lot. And so sometimes they come up with fabulous ideas. And I try to always read them and share them and discuss it as a class. So that kind of that's how, how my room rolls. And that's how it gets set up. And it changes throughout the year um, when needed. Yeah. And I know, Susan, I think I asked you this when you were on the podcast the first time when we were talking we had a discussion about modern classrooms at the elementary, middle, and high school level. Um, how, what does your classroom look like, and how do you uh, enable your setup and your systems to build routines? In my classroom, we have flexible seating. So students are able to pick where they're sitting, which we've talked about from the beginning of the year, and they've tried out different seats, and they reflect on where they learn best. And so we have that available to them. And I have some pods created where they can collaborate together. So it's several seats put together. We have some where it's just partners. That is something that my kids have like totally said, okay, I think this couch would be better in this location of the room. And I utilize the parking lot like Dee does. And so we have a section of our parking lot called Changes Needed. Mm -hmm. And they're able to put post-it notes there where they think we need to make changes in the seating arrangements of our room. I love that so much. I really like that you give your students voice. That's so important. I'm thinking back to, you know, teacher school um, when I was working on my master's in education and I learned about self-determination theory and, you know, part of being motivated, really all of us at any age is feeling like we um, have relatedness and autonomy in our environment. And that that's really powerful for building motivated learners. What do you do with students who, you know, despite the efforts and interventions that you're making um, with classroom setup, just, you know, with the, the self-paced nature of the instructional model as a whole, 
what do you do with students who perhaps are not using their time well? They're not, they're not going through the day efficiently. How do you really help those students and get them on a better track? I like to do check-ins. So the thing I love about the student-facing tracker, the individual tracker, is that you can quickly glance to see where kids are. And then you can quickly ask, like, I see where you are. What is your goal for today? And that's, I have my students write their goals on their tracker. And then we talk about how we're going to reach that goal. Sometimes just metacognitive surveys to see what they're doing and how they think they're using their time so that they can kind of self-reflect on how they can use their time better. And then uh, my policy is always if we, I don't really give homework, but if you we have due dates, and so if you're not able to complete work during in those in those time frames, then of course it becomes homework, or they use study hall time, or like a homework club. So I find that just the public pacing tracker really helps alleviate this issue. There there will always be maybe that one those one or two students who either are, are just not using their time wisely or they're distracted that day. But the public pacing tracker, I mean, those kids really want to see their names updated. They want to see their names progressing, especially at the elementary level. So it's it really hasn't been a huge issue, but, you know, it does pop up occasionally with different groups of students that you have. And, and um, like Dee said, I always just check in with my students move them ahead on their roadmap if it's a should do instead of a, a must do. So really moving them forward and pushing them forward. And, you know, if I think that it's an issue of, of academic ability, I just meet with that student each day first so that maybe I can do a little pre-teaching. Yeah, that's that's huge. That And that ability to do that, that freedom to meet with a student or a group of students one-on-one, it, it's so it's so powerful. Um particularly, you know, at the elementary level, you all teach um, various subjects in your classroom. I know uh, because of COVID this year, uh, you're, you're dividing, you know, I know Cheyenne, um, you're te- is, is it you're teaching writing this year? I'm teaching reading. Reading, I apologize. So you're teaching reading, um, you know, and as opposed to in the past, you know, when you would have been the main teacher of record and taught the various subjects, which is kind of a little bit more traditional sometimes in elementary. When you were rolling out the model in your in your classroom, what subject did you start with, um, and why did you choose that subject first? I started teach or I started teaching math first with blended learning because. I felt that it was the most natural place for it. I mean, you use blended learning when you really have a gap between, you know, your lowest student and and your highest achieving student because it's the best way to differentiate. And math has always been a struggle. Those learners who are very, very, um, you know, lower ability in math, they would always just be kind of drug along in in the lessons and, and we're just pushing them forward. So it, it really just naturally placed itself in math. And then from there, I started using it in writing workshop because I could build grammar lessons into my writing workshop and then still have writing conferences with, with students each day. So it just made sense there. Where you want to build uh, blended learning into your schedule, and haha, because this is probably everywhere, but where you really want to blend or use this is where you're lacking time to meet all of your students' needs. That's where blended learning fits the best. I, that so much of that resonates with me. I, I always say, you know, build a video when you want to clone yourself. 
Um, and, you know, obviously there's and save those rich academic interventions, you know, social, emotional conversations, obviously save those for in person. But when you feel like you're kind of on repeat and you want to clone yourself, you want to be 10 places at once. That's a, that's a great time for a video. Yeah, exactly. Um, I started with, with blended learning and math as well. And I always used a math workshop approach where I taught a mini lesson first, whole group, and then we broke off into different sections and some students did centers, some I took for a little um, teacher time, some did some lesson work based on the mini lesson. And so I thought, well, instead of me physically teaching the mini lesson, this would be a great place for a video. And I'm still able to pull small groups. And I was able to do that more effectively through blended learning. And surprise, I started in math too. So <laughs> the reason I did uh, started with math is because I had this like desperation to have kids reach that mastery level. And I always felt like, how can I move on when I have like five kids that do not get math, this math concept, and how are they going to build, you know, build that skill? And so I was, I was desperate. And as soon as I heard like teaching to mastery, I was in 100%. Yeah. I think that's such a, it's such a good point. You know, math is takes, it, it requires such a constructivist approach and it's, I, I know it definitely this model self-paced blended mastery based model worked in my social studies classroom. And I was able to see, you know, a lot more content mastery. And I, I saw their writing, just writing gets so much better. But for me, when I think of the very personal elements of me as a learner with this model, I think about how much I would have benefited in high school math, frankly. Um, I missed a lot of school at the beginning of my ninth grade year. There was a, there was an illness in my family and, when you fall behind in math, you know, right off the bat, um, it, the, the course does not get any easier. And I think about how, what that could have done for my confidence and academic achievement had I, had I been able to, to catch up on videos. Um, because again, like you point out, D, that early mastery in math, I was gonna, that's going to be the foundation that we build all of these subsequent skills on, um, in a particular math course. And it's, it's really important. And I, I think it, I think it's really powerful. You know, another, another question that I have, you know, speaking personally as a high school teacher is you as elementary teachers, I think, I think secondary educators were, were in awe of you because you have oftentimes you work with the same group of students all day. Um, and you, and that doesn't change its semester. Like it sometimes does, um, in a high school or middle school course. And I'm curious what you think advantages are, how were you able to maybe even better roll out this instructional model? Because you had that unique opportunity to work with the same students for most of the day, every day. That is something that I love. So I'm going to love to talk about this. I love having the same students all day because you create such a great culture within your room. It becomes like a little family. And I always call them my kids. And when my own children were young, they would always say, why are you calling them your kids? We're your kids. And I said, but they're my kids from September till May. And you're my kids all year. 
but <laughs> as a as a, as a as a teacher kid who whose mom said the same thing, Susan, I can you know the experience of your children resonates deeply with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sharing my mom. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But. I love the relationships that you can create that way. You really get to know these kids and you really get to know their parents also because it's a partnership with the parents. So you're able to create that by having them all year, every day, all day. I would say the same thing. I mean, I just feel like, yes, it it, it creates this culture of learning. They do have so much say. It, it's It's not your room. It's everybody's room and they're able to have their input. Um, we also applied for a grant for flexible seating um, for next year, hopefully, knock on wood. And I just really think that it, it fl- the day flows very well. Um, the kids know when it's time for blended learning, they self-start. And you have time built into your day if you need to take a little bit longer because you wanted to hit a math lesson at the end of math because everybody had the same misconception on a mastery check. Whereas you're not rushing off to get to go to another class or for kit for another class to come see you. Oh, that makes my high school teacher heart really jealous. <laughs> uh, that idea of having having more time like that. Yeah. To be able to, at the end of the day, identify something that many of us struggled with in the day. Um, and let's, let's take a few minutes to clarify that. That would be really freeing. So I think, I can't believe we're already out of time. I want to close us by asking if you could think of a particular student, um, who they were as a, as a learner, as a person, at the beginning of your blended self-paced mastery based, uh, you know, when they first walked in that classroom and who they were when they left and kind of a, how did the modern classroom instructional framework help that particular student grow? So this, the student that comes to mind for me is um, a young lady that came in with a huge attitude about school Um, She came with some news from prior teachers that were, you know, kind of disappointing to hear. And the year started out kind of tough. And then as she got into this culture and the blended learning process, and I had the time to build a relationship with her, I saw this huge change in her. And at the beginning of the year, she was like, I hate math. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. And she often didn't do it. Um, and as the year progressed, she was one of my most motivated students with this beautiful, positive attitude and wanted to contribute to the parking lot and volunteered to help other students and was so proud of her pacing tracker. And it was just like this full 360 um, watching her grow. And to this day, she stops to see me and tells me how much she misses that class. Hmm. No, I'm not. I'm not tearing up at all. It's fine. It's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm OK. I'm OK. <laughs> I have somewhat of a similar situation, but mine was a really struggling learner. And so she was very not confident to do the self-paced learning. She needed some redirection at the beginning, and she would often break down in tears because she wanted me to be with her all the time. And just seeing the confidence that she developed through this, it 
like was just the most wonderful thing to see her blossom and grow and realize, yes, you can do this and things aren't too hard for you. And she was able to be one of my teacher assistants at a point in the class. And you could just see her smile from ear to ear. And it was just such a neat thing to see. Cheyenne, what what about you? What Who's a student who comes to your mind? All right. So my, my student was also, you know, a struggling learner. He, he, he was not confident. He, in really any subject. And I, I just remember him always in math and I might cry, um, putting his head in his hands, like defeated because he was just frustrated and could not understand what he was doing wrong. And then when we transitioned into blended learning, he was one I would check in with every day and I would I would make sure I hit a mini lesson with him every day. But by the time we ended blended learning, he felt good about math. He felt confident about school. Like he felt like he could go into math and take on any 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 problem I threw at him and he felt comfortable to do that. By the end of the year, yeah, he was he was confident. And he was he was like a shining star and he would always get, you know, that inspire column because he worked his little heart out. Think about what that does for a kid to go from, you know, head in your hands, really discouraged to to being in that inspire column. And that that stick that sticks with a person and that sticks with a, a kid and a teacher. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me tonight. If listeners, if you were not able to catch our webinar that these amazing modern classroom elementary mentors did a few weeks back, go to our website, modernclassrooms.org slash webinars, and you'll be able to view that one as well as any of the other ones that you may have missed in the past. And we, we tackle even, even more issues about building out a modern classroom for elementary learners in that webinar. Um, thank you, you, the listener, for everything you do for your students. If you're new to our work, you can always learn more at modernclassrooms.org and learn our model for free at learn.modernclassrooms.org. For more comprehensive support, to have an amazing mentor like Cheyenne, Susan, or Dee, you can get personal support from a modern classroom teacher who's currently implementing the model. Um, Sign up for that virtual mentorship program. Um, Thank you. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Stay safe and have a great evening. Bye.